0: Up next, Rob Smith is problematic, part of the Gamers360 Network.
1: Policing is complicated. Race and policing is even more complicated in America, but lucky for me, I have a expert on the topic of policing in Black America. This is the problematic interview. I will be interviewing Brandon Tatum, former police officer, co-founder of Blexit, and the founder and CEO of the OfficerTatum.com. This is is Rob Smith is problematic. All right, guys, I'm interested and very excited to do this interview today. You know, it's summertime in America. As we all know, there's probably some city burning down to the ground right now because of a BLM protest. There's probably a lot of racial strife, lots of stuff that is going on uh, with policing in America. But there are so few people that are able to have this conversation from a place of experience. I am Really thrilled and really glad to have one with me today. This is Brandon Tatum, former police officer, co-founder of Blexit, and the founder and CEO of the officertatum.com. Thank you, Brandon, for joining me for this conversation.
0: All right, I appreciate you uh, having me on. my pleasure.
1: No, no. Anytime, anytime. So first, you know, we're going to get into the stuff about BLM. We're going to get into to all of the stuff that we've been dealing with, George Floyd, all of that other stuff. But first, I, I want to ask you, as somebody who served as a police officer, how did you get into policing in the first place?
0: Well, you know, I kind of accidentally fell into it. You know, I was a young guy at the time. I was 23 years old. Um, I had had a uh, well, my son was born or he's about to be born. And I was in an NFL draft that didn't work out. So, you know, me starting out as an athlete, believing that that was my path and then running into roadblocks. I had to make a, a crucial decision to, to open up you know, my horizon and, and figure out what I'm gonna do now that I have a child on the way and I need something more consistent. So I applied for everything in the city of Tucson, which is where I lived and where I played football. And just so happened, they called me back, man. And, and I, I honestly was shocked when they called me back. I thought they were calling me because I was under investigation for something. Uh, but lo and behold, they called me and offered me the job. Um, I went to do a ride along because I knew nothing about policing and uh, the ride along just changed my life, man. It blew my mind. I couldn't believe police officers were as great as they were. I-, I couldn't believe that they did the things that I saw Officer Sean Payne do on a day-to-day basis. And it just really compelled me to wanna protect and serve.
1: Well, let me ask you a question. So. You know, you're on the ride along, you know, you just got this phone call back. You're excited. Didn't expect to get get the call back. What was it that you saw specifically during the ride along with this officer that that changed your perception of what policing was?
0: Yeah, it was his poise, man. That dude was it was crazy. Like our first call was helping an elderly lady change a flat tire, which was Basic. Then I was like, you know, I can do this. This is not that big of a deal. The very next call was a code three run, mean lights and sirens. We we're going 75, 80 miles per hour down a residential street. I mean, we almost died three times because people don't know how to move to the right. Um, We get to the complex. It was an active person trying to commit suicide. And as soon as they kicked the door in they forced entry, once they went into the house, I was able to to peep in after them. And I saw a kid trying to cut his wrist at the back of the room. I'll never forget it. He was at a table in a small apartment. There was other kids on the floor like sleeping like like they was doing a sleepover. The cops had to step over them to get to the guy in the back. He had the knife in his hand. And I saw Sean Payne save this kid. and it, 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 It was crazy to me. And when we got back into the patrol car you know he resumed the conversation as if none of that happened and i was in a full panic man i had never experienced anything that intense um and me seeing that in my personal opinion is me for the first time in my life seeing a hero and sean Payne was a hero like a superhero for me and um, I said, you know what, man? I want to be like Sean Payne. I want to be a police officer.
1: So your first experience with uh, with this ride along was seeing, you know, this this police officer in a heroic uh, frame, which is very interesting. So even before all of this stuff, to to rewind it back a little bit, had you ever had any interactions with police officers before this?
0: Yeah, I've had a, a few of them. Um, one memorable interaction with police officers when when I was uh, eight years old. Uh, me, and my brother and six of my well, f- me, and my brother and five of our other cousins um, decided to go smoke marijuana in a vacant house. And we were there and I'm, I'm assuming the neighbors called the police on us. You know, we had no business being in there in the first place. But the police came in there like they were looking for, you know, America's most wanted. Right. Uh, they had guns drawn. They were yelling at us. Get out. Get on the ground. They were they were coming through the windows. They came through the front door. We were in like a back room. And they had guns pointed at us. And I was eight, my brother was 10, my cousin in between us was nine, and ages all the way up to 17. Um, and so that was a pretty traumatic experience. You know, I didn't think they were gonna shoot us, but I didn't wanna take any chances. And i never forget them, you know, piling us in one car. The 17 year old, he went to a big boy jail, and then the, the six of us, they piled us in one car. They had five of us laying, they had a guy laying over the top. And they were criticizing us, calling us sardines. And, you know, that was that was an experience that was negative for me. You know, even though I was wrong, I, I, I was, you know, that was a, a pretty traumatic experience for me. And
1: so how did you, you were eight, you said? I was eight. Oh man! So how? So damn! Uh, so my question is: How did you go from that experience? You said it was a negative experience. How did you not sort of, kind of engender this hate in your heart for police officers that, that so many people seem to have nowadays with, with an experience that wasn't even as tenth as as uh, as intense as your experience was.
0: Yeah, I grew up hating the police, um, not just because of that. It's just you were taught to hate the police. Pro- police are racist, white people. They don't want to see black people shine, so they pull you over for no reason. Who so I you been, that? I mean, I think it, it was more so music, man. It was more so culture, peers. It wasn't my parents. You know, my dad was a firefighter, and, you know, I had a lot of family members that were selling drugs and doing stuff, so that was inherently uh, – they didn't like the police. But it was more culture, man, listening to rap music, uh, peer-to-peer pressure of 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 – Believing that you had to hate them. And every time I got pulled over, I thought it was because I was black,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, and 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 we'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, I so I didn't have a good reputation with police, but it wasn't until I got saved that my perception changed. Because when I got saved and, and for people who may not know what what I'm talking about, when I got saved, I became a Christian um, in 2008. God just changed the way I thought. Like mm-hmm. I just I just. Everything started from fresh, even the way I looked at white people, the way I looked at black people. Everything was a fresh start. And, and I believe that God put it in my heart to say, look, give everybody a fresh shot. If they if they prove to you that they're not worthy of your respect then don't respect them. But until you um, can prove that, give everybody a fresh shake. And that opened me up to even being, you know, responsive to applying for the city of Tucson. And then, you know, thank God I was open to it. And it was probably one of the
1: greatest decisions of my life. So back to jumping back to to the ride along and all that stuff. So you're in the ride along, you are seeing this man, you know, as a hero, and I'll just, you know, fast forward past your training and all that stuff. What was your day to day life like on the ground as a police officer? And then another question that I have is, did you live in that same community? Or did you live kind of outside of that community?
0: Yeah, I'll start with the where I lived. I I, I would never live in the city of Tucson. <laughs> I didn't want to raise my kids there. I mean, it was a lot of problems with the city, and yeah. I didn't, they didn't run the city right. So I lived in a suburb uh, called Marana, which was very nice, very clean, safe. And that was one, two, two reasons why I did that, because it was a crappy city, and I, I wanted nothing to do with it. And the second reason is, is because safety. You know you arrest a lot of people in the city and you don't want people doxing you and coming showing up at your house mm-hmm. and stuff like that you know s- simply because you do business in that city most cops don't want to do business where they sleep you know right it's, just, right it's just the name of the game um so i think I, I lost track of what you were saying you said you know didn't live in the city and day-to-day on policing okay yeah, it was oh, yeah man i mean i i, I would i would I did the night shift, which was the fun shift in my personal opinion. And it was heck, it was a lot of busy work. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I put on my uniform, I get in my car, I drive to work. Normally, I'm running late all the time. So (laughs) I'm
1: getting there halfway late. Um,
0: we it's go with insert
1: the, CPT uh, time. Joke
0: here. <laughs> it was real. I don't know what I don't know what uh, DNA I got in me, man, but I can't I can't be on time for nothing. So, you know, I'm running late, like usual, I get there, I go into debriefing. And in debriefing, they tell us about everything that's going on in the city, we're able to log in our computers and see all the calls for service. So while we're debriefing, or while we're briefing, um, to go into the shift, there is 30, 40, sometimes 50 calls that are holding that are pending, meaning right. that these people have not seen service from a police officer um throughout the entire day some of them ten, waiting 10 hours to see us and so the pressure of the amount of work that we have to do before our shift even started and then you know you log in and you just go for it man you got call to call to call to call to call to call to call you know somebody was burglarized somebody reported a rape that they hadn't gotten somebody responding for like mm-hmm. six hours uh, somebody, you know, uh, a traffic stop there was a traffic accident, and they're still waiting there four hours later. And you would just exhaust yourself doing that. And in the middle of trying to conquer these calls for service and, and serve the public, meaning, you know, we were tremendously understaffed, you get a shooting, you get a stabbing, you get a, you get a, 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 a um, a fatality call mm-hmm. and you have to divert and go back to call to call. And every shift was a emergency call. Like either a either we had a shooting, we had a violent crime, a robbery, um, domestic violence where it had gotten violent enough where we had to go lights and sirens and you know, you put you drawing your gun on people, you chasing people. So every shift we had an emergency call like that. So I mean it was adrenaline packed from the from the day I put the uniform on, I mean from the minute I put the uniform on until three hours later, I'm experiencing an adrenaline rush from policing.
1: And so, you know, since you you did all this stuff, and I want to ask how you have seen, because we had talked about how you had seen the police before, you know, when you were when you were growing up because of rap music and all that stuff. How have you seen the perception of policing um, change over the past couple of years? Do you think it's gotten better? Do you think it's gotten worse? What is your been What has been your perception of that?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's gotten incredibly worse the perception. I don't think policing has really changed. I think policing has improved. You know, body worn cameras, they got more tactical gear, they get better training, you know, because of the wrongs that had happened before. Mm-hmm. You know, we we train people not to beat individuals like Rodney King. You know, once once you hit him a couple times and he's not doing it, you gotta do something else. You can't just beat the man. So policing has improved, training has improved, technology has improved, accountability has improved, but the public perception has has diminished
1: so i want to get so you but you so you do believe in um the accountability and the body cameras and, and some of these reforms that have happened as a police officer you do believe in these things
0: yeah, to a certain degree, man. I think the body worn cameras, uh, when operated properly, are b- actually better for the police officers than the public, right. because police officers get accused of all kind of crazy stuff, and people don't see what police officers see. Mm-hmm. They can read a case report, but if you see somebody on body camera, just like recently, the young girl in uh, in Chicago that was murdered, seven year old, gunned down in a in a shooting in a McDonald's parking lot, on the body worn camera, you could see those officers scrambling, pulling her out of the car, t- running her from a car from their vehicle to the patrol car taken off taking her to the hospital you see the emotions you see all the things that police officers are currently doing on the scene so i think body worn cameras especially when you're using them on calls for service instead of using them when you're going to the restroom or hanging out with your buddies i think they could be incredibly effective
1: okay so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna tell all my problematics we're gonna go into a break right now when we come back i'm gonna talk to brandon tatum former police officer black man about Black Lives Matter. So, now you are a police officer, you've been on the force, you had a negative perception of police officers, that was changed once you started actually doing the job. And we were talking a little bit um, earlier about how you actually agree with some of these reforms, like the body cameras, like uh, better training, like police accountability. So what I want to have is is I want to know what your thoughts on the, the Black Lives Matter movement are in as it relates to policing in general. Yeah,
0: you know, Black Lives Matter in my personal opinion, the the organization is 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 dead. I mean, they're not doing I don't think that they're worth anything they're raising money to push political agendas and they don't care nothing about black people from the admin perspective. I mean, they're raising hundreds of millions of dollars and they don't even give money to these victims that they're raising money on. George Floyd's family came out and protested against them saying they have not received a dime. Breonna Taylor's mom just came out and said they haven't received a dime. Michael Brown's family is suing BLM because they haven't received a dime. I mean, they're raising hundreds of millions of dollars in their Co-founder is buying houses all over the all, all over uh, the country. I mean, I,
1: mean, I do million dollars,
0: dollars, millions of dollars on properties in all white neighborhoods. So yeah. even from the leadership perspective, they don't care about black lives. So when you look at an organization like this, this uh, a political arm of the Democrat Party, that's exactly what it is, in my personal opinion. And you look at the policies they push, you have to understand that they're not reasonable policies. They're not rooted in facts and they don't care about unity. It's a political agenda. Defunding the police is something that they tout is is incredibly ignorant. I mean, if, if you want police officers to change and you want reform, it's gonna cost money. Police right. officers need better training. That's gonna cost more money. That's more funding. That's not defunding and demoralizing. You're gonna have uh worse interactions if you if you if you work with that premise. So Black Lives Matter is a detriment to not only the police, but to black people. I mean, every time you turn around, you see a, a brother resisting arrest and, 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 and getting in confrontations, like I would do when I was younger. Is mm-hmm. that it was always a mental confrontation when I saw police. They are conjuring up this false sense of fear that's causing people to, to confront police when they shouldn't, causing them to run from police when they shouldn't, causing them to be killed and injured by police when they don't have to be. Right. Um, and so I think that they are a detriment more so than an asset.
1: And the interesting thing to me, you know, when you have the Black Lives Matter conversation and you brought brought up the defund the police movement, right? And it is so funny that the people that are the most against defunding the police are the people that actually have to live in these communities that need police officers because they are inherently, you know, these are dangerous communities that need to be policed. And the people that are making that argument for defunding the police are people that do not live in these neighborhoods. You brought up the BLM co-founder, Patrice Colors, her three point four million dollar Real estate portfolio. Uh, one of the one of the houses, one point four million dollars, uh, somewhere in L.A. has a one point nine percent black population. Right. So so that stuff really is happening, and I think it's very interesting um, that you pointed that out. So, do you think? that because when we talked before you said that you you are actually are about some of these reforms in policing and that's what what I thought was was very interesting because I didn't expect you to be for that because for so many people like like you and like I um they create caricatures of us that don't necessarily exist they they claim that we have said things that we have never said so i think that it's interesting um that some of these reforms that have come up you're about so how do you think that the blm movement is affecting the conversation around the act of policing itself.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to be clear about the reforms. I, I can't say I prescribe to all the stuff they're talking about, but right. I do believe that there needs to be uh, police reform, or like I mean, I, I, when when people when they say reform, they mean like the whole revolutionizing of the police department, and it's, that's not what I'm saying. Reform to me means that I, I wish that we would get better training. I, I wish they would help us with with de-escalation. I mean, you only you only get a chance to de-escalate when it's real, when mm-hmm. somebody's really you know life and death, and that's not the time where you where you want to be learning how to do that or getting work and doing that. I think they they need to help us with technology and and trying to do shoot and no shoot scenarios, things that we used to do on a SWAT team. They need to give Money to police officers for ammo so they can train off duty on how to shoot a gun, how to be accurate, how to be confident, um, and and spend more money on hiring, pay police officers better wages so you get better quality people going into the force um, and and things like that. That's the police reform that I'm speaking about. But I think that they are making BLM is really making policing difficult. Mm -hmm. And everybody's on edge, whether you're a citizen or a police officer, because of the rhetoric that they're pushing. Um, They're confronting police, even as a, a movement. They're confronting police in these protests. It's just it's It's almost like they're like
1: it's almost like they are daring cops to do something to them because they know, look, everybody's got a camera. Everybody's got a phone. uh, You know, this is going to be national national news. You better not do anything. There were these uh, videos that were coming up, I think, last summer out of New York. And I'm pretty sure they'll be coming up this summer, too. You know, people were uh, spraying police officers with super soakers. They were dropping water balloons. I think that they were filling some of the water water balloons with urine, you know, throwing them at police officers. And that's kind of what's going on right now, which is which is insane for me to look at. But I want to ask you, when you were, were police and when you're an active police officer, what was the perception of you from African-Americans?
0: Well, I, I hate to say this, but it's it's an honest truth, man. I think a lot of African-Americans looked at me as a, as a like I'm betraying, betraying the race, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I would go to calls and I'm an Uncle Tom, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm working for the white man. And it's like, you know, I'm putting my life on the line to protect everybody. You know, why would you char- characterize me like that? There wasn't all black people. There were black people that are very proud to see a black police officer and were very thankful that I decided to to do the job. But, you know, it, it, I did get a lot of negatives from from black folks. I mean, even people that I thought were my friends growing up. I mean, I'm a police officer now. Now I must be bad. I must be a traitor. And that was very disappointing. And And it stems from how I grew up and how the culture of being black in America is. Man, no matter what you do, you are taught or, or you are brainwashed or you are convinced to some degree that policing is like a bad thing and, and it's not a connection between being black and being a police officer.
1: And that's unfortunate because I think one of the things that, you know, there's some common ground to be found here, even with the conversations that that are had on the left about policing reform and all that stuff and, you know, living in New York City, I lived in New York City for 12 years, uh, they were actively always trying to recruit more black, Latino, you know, uh, Asian, people of color, et cetera, police officers and I've always agreed with that idea that that if black Americans that live in these cities, if they see more police officers that look like them, that... Uh that kind of you know shared at least some sort of lived experience, then that may make that relationship between them and the police officers a little bit better. So it's sad for me to hear that this is still how people are seeing even black police officers, and it leads me to ask, what is even like, what is even the point? It, it just uh, sometimes, and, and no disrespect to you that that is wearing the uniform or any other cops right now, it just seems like the most thankless job ever. It is. I
0: mean, but most police officers don't do it to get a thank you. They don't do it for a paycheck. Trust me. I I was making 50 grand, I think, and I was working overtime, night shifts and all kind of stuff. And And you're making
1: $50,000 a year for
0: tax risking your life like that. Right. Before tax, you know, That's so crazy. after tax, I was barely making it, man. I was making I think I was getting less than a thousand dollars a check. Man. So, you know, it was it was so I didn't do it for the money. Yeah, I did it because I felt like God called me to do it. And I actually cared about people. And it was an opportunity for me to save as many people as I can and influence as many people in a positive uh, direction at the, at their worst moment. So these police officers that are going out today, man, I mean, they're just they're trying to do the best that they can. Black, white or Hispanic or Asian or whatever. Most of them are just going out trying to do what they're called to do. And it's a thankless job and they don't want to thank you, even though a thank you will feel good. They just want to go home safe. They just want to go to work, save people as many as they can, answer these calls for service, stay alive, get the bad guys out the streets. It's that simple. But if a person has never put on a uniform, it's easy to draw these conclusions that cops are out here uh, looking to pull over black people for no reason. I mean, that's if, if it happens, it may happen. I would be shocked if it happens, but that's rare. That's incredibly rare.
1: Yeah. And I want to ask your opinion on this as well. I was doing some, uh, I, I was talking to one of these black liberals about BLM and all that stuff. You know, they do the debate and they just can't wait to, you know, do all that stuff. And we were talking about, there was, uh, there was you know, a shooting, I think, of some somebody, I, I think even this person was armed. And this black liberal was convinced that, oh, there are different types of training that they need to do because we need to make sure that, um you know, it's de-escalated and all that. And so I'm like, bro, you're telling me that there is somebody that is literally, coming at you with a weapon and you're supposed to be doing all of these things. They say, oh, shoot him in the leg or shoot him in the hand or something like that. And this argument is always being made by people who have never found themselves in a combat situation ever in life. I wasn't a police officer, but I served in Iraq. Uh, We do patrols. We have our weapon like that. I have been in combat situations. And the idea that somebody is just supposed to, your life Changes in that instant when something like that comes up and that you're just supposed to use some superhuman training to shoot some people in the leg or something like that And I should go to me. It's ridiculous. Like what do you say to that argument as somebody who actually has police,
0: Yeah, it's very weird I mean, I wish these people would do a ride-along or or put on a uniform and, and, and try it for yourself, man, you know People have never feared death before. I mean, they look at it on TV, they see it on video games or whatever the case may be. But in real life, man, when you when when you think you can actually die, your body does something real, real different. Yeah. You have an adrenaline rush that's uncontrollable to you. And you know, that fear can make you do things. And that's why you we train as much as we can. But when somebody's running at you with a gun, like you only have or run at you with a weapon, you only have a split second to make a decision. And to be honest, man, and most people you get you get tunnel vision, you know. You don't hear anything. You, it's it's a it's a psychological thing that happened to you when somebody has put you in a high stress situation. And most cops are just regular people, man, and they don't have to do these stressful situations every day in many yeah. police departments. So they're not really is is well trained for it like any human would, you know. And, and I wish that people would, would understand that like I've been in life and death situations where I had to pull guns on people I had people pull uh, weapons on me and Because I was on the SWAT team because I had the experience I had and I was pretty brave to start with That I was able to handle those pretty reasonably, but man, it's not that easy You you, you, you don't shoot people in the legs you miss if you shoot them in the legs Your, yeah. your dexterity in your hands go down tremendously when you're in high stress your, your accuracy of shooting You know, motor skills. Everything starts to diminish when you are put under stress, and I wish people would understand. That's the reason why cops shoot people center mass, so you don't miss and hit somebody, kid, in the head down the street somewhere. You know, and also, it's not our responsibility to be God and think for you. We don't know what these people are thinking. Some people probably don't want to die. They're just. They want to pull a gun because they hope that the cops shoot them first. They don't really want to kill a cop. They, well, they won't pull the trigger. But yeah. we don't know that. We don't have some magic senses uh, where we can say, oh, this person really isn't that bad. He's turning his life around today. You know, it's like, bro, when you present yourself as a threat, I have to use the, the reasonable amount of force to eliminate you as a threat. From, from verbal to, to, to a deadly force. That's just yeah. the way it is.
1: And it was very interesting because this is something that uh, something that I never really thought about, really, because I, I take it for granted the fact that you know I I was overseas in Iraq and I know what it is like to be in a, that life or death situation to have all that adrenaline to have tunnel vision to have all of that stuff that happened multiple times in Iraq and it's so funny that since I've had that experience and I know what that's like it never even occurred to me that most people the majority of the people on this planet or, or in this country or whatever will never have a life for that situation like that. So they do not know how to react. They don't know how they would react. The only thing they know is uh, they can say how they would react You know, in the confines of a cable news set or on a podcast or something like that. But until you have been in that situation, you just do not know. And I think that it does a disservice to the discourse in this country that there are not more police officers that have been in that actual situation that are being given the platform. And while we're at it, I want to ask you uh, something. I want to get your take on this. There was uh, the police officer that was involved in the Breonna Taylor shooting. Now, this person was going to write a book uh, that was based on you know, his recollection of what happened or maybe some things that people didn't know, whatever. There was outrage by the far left. Uh, the book wasn't to be published by Simon & Schuster, but I believe the publisher had a distribution deal with Simon & Schuster. Now, they're saying that they will not distribute this book. What do you think of that? Like, What's your take on this?
0: Well, the left, I mean, this is, this is apparent. Like if the book is suck, then let them put it out and it sucks. Nobody will buy it, you know, right. but what they're afraid of. And, and I know why, cause I saw the documentation from Breonna Taylor's case. They are afraid that all the secrets are going to come out about Breonna Taylor and her family. Right. Uh, because that's all, that's all public record in these documents that I published on the Tatum report a while ago, but they, they are going to be exposed i mean brianna taylor's mom was was heavy in 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 the gang in gang activity she was heavy heavily involved in that. her family is well known yeah her her mom is that's why when she's on tv talking about oh i want justice for my daughter and 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 i know because i know the police officers that are there and they say she she's in a gang like her family is well known that's why people at the apartment complex when the shooting went out they don't it's not that they didn't hear any shots they didn't want to cooperate with police because they're afraid of brianna taylor and her family and Brianna Taylor was was on 911, I mean not nine one one calls, but jail recordings, um, admitting to selling drugs for Jamarcus Glover, running money for him, doing dirt with him. Like she's on 911 recordings that we have. Um, and if somebody made that public, her reputation is is destroyed. And people may actually read it and say, Well, she wasn't sleeping in the bed. Well, she was she was knee deep in the gang, um, or at least in the gang activity with Jamarcus Glover another thing is that she had a rental car that was that a dead body was found in that was was rented to her and and they don't know who killed the guy the hispanic guy that was in the car people think jamarcus glover did it or she had something to do with it she wasn't an emt she was barred from ever working in the city ever again because of this situation many police officers think she had a plea deal is the reason why she would she didn't go to jail although she was barred from from working for the city for for life i mean there's so much connected to this even Uh, Walker her her current boyfriend and shot at the police I mean there's jailhouse recordings where Jamarcus Glover and others were like that dude shot at the police He knew what he was doing. It's his fault that Breonna Taylor got killed And so if you put that information to the public It would just blow away the narrative that this was a young girl sleeping in her bed She was an EMT just trying to do the right thing
1: Mm hmm. And so the, it, it's really funny that you bring all that stuff up. You know, I I kind of like covered that stuff a little bit. And but the thing about it is, is that when you're talking about these BLM cases, and the, I call them BLM hoaxes, because there's always so much more to the story than we are allowed to say. And so it's almost like there are these conversations that we are not allowed to have. We are not allowed to have this conversation that you and I are having about Breonna Taylor. We are not allowed to have certainly the conversation about George Floyd. So we are not allowed to have these conversations. And and I think you're absolutely right that people want to basically hide that. They they want to hide these conversations. And for me, and like I said, I don't want to get too much into media bashing because it is the lowest hanging fruit of any conservative. But we do not have a media right now that is interested in the truth. We have a media full of activists that are interested in pushing forth narratives. And this Breonna Taylor thing was a narrative. The George Floyd thing is a narrative. But I have to push back on what you said that if this book gets published, you know it's going to destroy the narrative. The thing about it is, is that the people that know that that want to believe the narrative will never read this book, which is why they want so badly to deplatform it. Now, I think this book is still going to go out. I, I don't think it'll be distributed by Simon and Simon Schuster. It'll probably go somewhere else. It will be out, and the only people that will talk about what's in the book because he's probably got just the stuff that you said are, are conservatives. And it's almost to the point right now where facts and truth are a conservative thing and lies a narrative or a liberal thing and that should not be the case especially with something like this
0: yeah and I think that you know what I learned over time and people would message me often and say man thank you for posting that about Breonna Taylor because I didn't know like it changed my mind mm-hmm. like some people their their turning point from being liberal to becoming conservative was Breonna Taylor you know so really? I, think, I think that they are afraid that it may turn some people but I let me say this let me say this I think that they they don't want negative content out about Breonna Taylor because they have a narrative. I don't think they're thinking that people will change. They just don't want her to be embarrassed in public like that because they had made her a martyr. Right. Um, however, the re- effects of the book is gonna cause people to change because everybody have that breaking point, man. You know, you did, I did. So many people have that breaking point where you, you start seeing stuff that's like, well, that's not adding up. And yes. then before you know it, you're like, well, these people are lying. They did, no, they're just lying. They, and then you say, why are they lying? And then you start realizing "Well, they have an agenda. And you're like, I thought I feel betrayed, betrayed by you people. Like, when I was a liberal, and I thought I was a Democrat, when, when, when Barack Obama started bashing police, I, I felt I felt betrayed. Like, I thought you really cared. Like, I thought you mm-hmm. were a really genuine dude. Like, you don't even like you, you're making up stuff. You, you're lying. And then when you see all everybody else is just following suit, you're like. All of you guys are lying. This I'm living in a twilight zone,
1: and they lie over and over and over and over again. And then they tell some more lies, and then we're done. Then when they're done lying, they lie some more. That is the thing that kills me about this. The question that I always ask to myself, and you know, I I do the Facebook videos and all that stuff, and I did one about this this Brianna Taylor book, and my thing was really like, I don't know what's going on. I think that you know the book should be out. We shouldn't suppress. You know, this is freedom of speech, freedom of the press, all that stuff, but whenever there is so there are so many people that are trying to get me to think and believe one thing at the contrary in me automatically ask the question why do all of these people want me to believe this why is this coming from the NBA? why is this coming from all the rappers why is this coming from all the celebrities why is this coming from all these democrat politicians what do they have invested and me thinking that I'm a perpetual victim or that all cops are out to get me or that I'm, I'm black in the greatest country in the world that has the most black wealth concentrated anywhere of anywhere in the world. And I'm still a pressed victim, you know. So I, I, I get it. And, and hopefully when this stuff starts coming out, and I think people like you uh, and, and me are very good at kind of opening people's eyes because our eyes were opened in this way. So. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about how we rebuild the relationship and change the conversation around Blacks and police, because I want to end this on a note of positivity. All right, so we done talked about Brandon's experience as a police officer. We have talked about BLM Inc. You guys all know how, how myself and Brandon feels about that. I want to do something positive. I want to know, and I'm asking you this, Brandon. How do we rebuild this conversation, uh, this relationship, and change the conversation around African Americans and the police?
0: Yeah, I think uh, great question, Rob. I think we just got to lead by example. You know, when people see me out and I'm supporting the police and and giving them a voice, I think people begin to perceptionalize police a little differently. You know, maybe they're like, well, that's weird. Why would this black guy do this? And then when they see police officers in a positive light, they go, dang, you know, maybe they aren't all bad. So having a, you know, giving them a voice, being leading by example, I think are ways that we can try to fix it. You know, I also think that police officers can fix it and police departments by being active in the community, doing more community policing. And I also believe that you know, the community can be more active by doing ride alongs and going to seminars and, and, and different things that are put on by police departments to help you understand what should I do during the traffic stop? How do I become a police officer? You know, all those different things, I think that we all can do in conjunction to make these things better. I do think that there is a recipe for success when rebuilding the relationships. We just have to follow that recipe. And it's going to take both sides to actually want to fix it and to care enough. And we will see it fixed.
1: So for you, for somebody that is, very prominent, and very public as a staunch supporter of police officers and, and you are a police officer yourself. Where do you draw the line at? Because sometimes this stuff comes out. We we are in an era where we see some sort of police misconduct, whether it's real or or imagined, uh, you know, or, or kind of like ginned up by the media. So we see this stuff every day. So for you, where do you draw the line in terms of what When you see something, how do you maintain that you support the police, but then say, man, this is wrong? And what's an example of something that you saw that was just dead wrong where you just had to say, look, I support the cops, but this is wrong. And this is why we need some some kinds of reforms.
0: Yeah. So being a being a police officer and put on a uniform and dealing with this, I take emotion out of stuff when I see it. I look at the just facts first and I say, well, is this legal or not? I mean, what's the use of force continuum? Did the person follow the use of force continuum? Did he did it, is it reasonable to believe that his life was in serious danger of bodily injury or death? And then I go from there and then I and then I may go into the emotional side and say, you know, this is unfortunate, maybe there could be some training that could have happened. Hey, I wish this guy didn't resist arrest. Maybe he shouldn't have resisted arrest. And we can go into those other things, but you know, I, I hate bad police officers. Like <laughs> It, it, it puts a stain on the badge man, you know, like I, I used to work hard when I was a cop and I was very kind to people And I treat I treated everyone with the exact same respect If you had a business tile and you pull up in a Bentley I'm gonna treat you with the same respect as somebody pulling up in a car with the hubcaps coming off and a crack windshield I treat everybody the same. I never cursed on duty ever That was my decision because I don't think cursing at people is respectful at all Especially, you know when you are trying to serve them so I, I worked very hard to build the reputation of police officers and make sure that people saw us as heroes and people that were there to support them and serve them. And sometimes they gotta get a whooping. But after you get the whooping, I, I respect you and I say sir and I call them ma'am. And so when people tank the badge by doing stupid stuff, I don't like them either. I'm the first one that wanna call these people out. Now, however, I think that most police officers that do wrong, they justice is served and they get fired, they go to jail. I mostly speak on the ones that are controversial where people are saying that a cop is wrong and a cop ain't wrong. Mm -hmm. Now I have many situations where I thought the cop was, was ridiculously wrong. Um, I'll give you at least three examples. Today I was watching a video where a cop, you know, these guys on a hot speed chase, they get out the car, the guy wasn't complying, but the cop came and kicked him in the face, knocked him unconscious. He was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that's a bad example of a police officer. Um, The biggest case that everybody's talking about is Derek Chauvin. I mean, I, I don't, I, d- does that make him you know, wrong in the court of law? I don't know. We'll see when the verdict come out. And, I, and, and based on the law, I don't think that he's broken these laws. However, I don't think that he, the, con, the conduct that he displayed was, was a quality police officer. I mean, mm-hmm. even if his knee wasn't on his neck, like some people say that it looked like it was, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You got a guy under your knee. People are yelling at you, telling you that you're killing them. The guy is screaming for his life. You gotta have enough decorum, or understanding, or awareness that hey, I may not, I may need to adjust what I'm doing mm-hmm. to prove to people that I'm not just killing this man. Mm-hmm. And then once the man goes unconscious, give a you know assertive effort, concertive effort to try to save his life. I mean, you 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 can't just do that. And now you've yeah. caused the whole world to be turned upside down. You caused the other guys that are with you to get fired. Everybody's, you know, wanting to burn down a city because you had an arrogant attitude mm-hmm. towards this situation. It, it appears that way. I and mean, when yeah. you
1: watch that video, when you look at him, it's like it's almost like he's like, you know, you can't do nothing to me. I'm just going to keep on doing this and I'm just going to look that at you. And the thing about it is, is that, you know, I've always with, with the George Floyd Derek Chauvin case, I've always thought that, look, this is this is why, you know, look, uh, we have the right to a free and fair trial, right? I'm not going to convict somebody based on, I don't know anything. So I haven't really said a whole lot about it. But what I do know is that when you're watching that video, that man was not concerned with George Floyd. That man was not concerned with the chaos that he was creating around the situation with all the phones. He was, he was just unbothered. And that's not what you want from a police officer. I mean, I get it. I get it. The guy was resistant.
0: I get it that you probably burnt out. I get it. But I mean you just got to be smart because perception is everything like you, you have to be smart you know and i think that that officer was he displayed a character that was arrogant um i don't know if it caused the death of george floyd which is the only thing that matters in the court of law right But my perception as a cop is that man i wouldn't want to work with that guy after that i mean i don't know him he may be a great cop but i wouldn't want to work with him after that I, if i was a chief i would fire that guy i would say you know what dude like you, you 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 don't have any. You're not displaying any compact That's not the way I want the public to see our police department. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you don't go to jail, that doesn't matter, dude. I don't want you as a police officer in my department. He already had like fifteen something complaints. I mean, even if the complaints were found un you know um, unjust or they were false complaints or they were unprovable, right? It doesn't matter. You got fifteen of them, man. Like I've never gotten a formal complaint. It never. I've never gotten a formal complaint. And I'm not saying that. It's wrong to get complaints because some people just lie on you, man. They don't like you. But for you to have 15 of these complaints, you got your knee on the guy's back, neck area. He's dying. He's and you don't even care. You don't appear to care.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's not gonna build relationships with the community. And, and you know, I wouldn't want that guy on my on my on my police department.
1: And the thing about it is is that think about how many billions of people, how many millions of people in America, how many millions of black Americans see that. And so that is what they think all police officers are. And so that stuff, and I think the thing about it is, is that that does so much more damage because more people are going to go see that than the hundreds of thousands of Polite, respectful police interactions that happen every single day on the streets of America. And I I think that that is the most unfortunate thing about that situation. But when we talk about the overall BLM Inc., when we talk about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, all of this stuff, um, this is having a detrimental effect on the way all Americans see police officers, by the way, Um, not just African Americans, all Americans. And look, it's going to take decades, I think, to repair these things. But I am glad that, you know, we got people like you out there leading the charge, letting people know exactly what it is to be a police officer and giving commentary from a place of having actual having actually have done these things, which is so much more of of what we need um, in our discourse. So on that note, I want to thank you for joining me for the problematic interview. Uh, tell my audience where they can find you and uh, the rest of your work
0: theofficertatum.com, T-H-E-officertatum.com. You can find everything that I do. I have an online store, I have you know, a website where we do news. I have a YouTube channel that's 1.5 million plus people that are subscribed to it where I do commentary on a day-to-day basis. So I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff, but if you wanna find it, if you wanna reach out to me, whatever the case, maybe you wanna book me to speak, all of that can be found at theofficertatum.com.
1: All right, thanks so much for your time, Brandon.
0: God bless you, man, thanks, Rob.